Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of In the Vitrine. My name is Nadia, and this is Danny. And today we're going to talk about criticism. A very controversial topic in Singapore. Very controversial. <laughs> Now we started thinking about criticism because of an incident that happened recently um, over an advertisement about e-payment. That doesn't sound very fashion, I know, but it did get us thinking about criticism in the fashion industry. So, just for some background,、um, there was an advertisement featuring an actor called Dennis Chu, and essentially he was portraying four different characters. Um, representing the four, well, the three major races and the others, right in Singapore. So he's a Chinese actor, and he was painted brown to represent also、um, a Malay woman and an Indian man. And what was interesting was that the criticism against this particular advertisement,、um, which seemed quite racist actually. I mean, it was a horrible advertisement. Right. It if it's been dubbed brown face、yeah. and. It's it's really insensitive and saying saying that Singapore is a multicultural and tolerant society. You can just see how incidents like this undermine、mm. that facade, and it got lots of people really mad, especially young creative people. So that's right. A lot of my friends were just like aghast that something like that would happen, and so some young、um, creatives, some YouTube.、Um, Content makers created a satire video about this. They were very frustrated, and they took to to YouTube and they posted this video, which then got a whole lot of backlash from ministers、mm. and the Singaporean government. Right, and the YouTuber is called Pretty Please, P R E E T I P L S, and she was working with her brother Subash, who's well known in the Singaporean. Music scene,、mm. and he was supposed to be featured in a National Day documentary for Channel News Asia, where he was working with migrant communities in Singapore. And because of this incident, Ch- Channel News Asia is taking it down. So a lot of people、wow. were just very frustrated with the situation.、Yeah. And it's such an interesting time that this would take place because we are celebrating National Day <laughs> in a few days on ninth August. I guess、so. how this comes back to. To criticism and、mm. to fashion is that things like advertisements are representations of people, and fashion deals a lot with representation、mm-hmm. in the wider fashion dialogue. We've been talking a lot about having models of different abilities, of different colors,、mm-hmm. of different、um, cultural beliefs being represented in the media, and so to have this in twenty nineteen really feels very regressive.、Right. Right, when we are talking about like inclusivity、yes. and having all voices represented, and I mean, why would you put a Chinese actor, you know, into four different roles when you could perfectly well cast other people, right, in、yes. in the roles? And also, the kind of comments that were given were, it just showed that some people actually thought that was funny and、mm-hmm. that the minorities were being sensitive. So, right. Yeah. So just some ignorance on that level. Yeah.、Um, so it brings us back to criticism. So the the YouTube video by Pretty Please was situated in a form of satire, and so satire is another form of subtle critique to the main culture.、Mm-hmm. So let's talk about fashion criticism. Yes, do let's. <laughs> 
Um, so what do you think fashion criticism is, Danny? Um, do you think it's just negative? Because I think sometimes people do think, you know, the word criticism in itself mm-hmm. is really scary and it's yeah. always about the bad things. Yeah, I think that I, the kind of critics and criticisms that I love reading are the ones that give me new information or like mm. help me to think about a topic better. I mean, in the old school, we had the the big fashion critics like Susie Menkes and Katie Horin who would attend all the shows, um, know all the designers, know the insides out, inside outs of fashion and use this knowledge to create very insightful reports and mm-hmm. kind of think about what's going on in fashion every season right. and to link that to economics and to social issues, right? right. And then we had in the, ni- in the late 1990s and 2000s, we have the the, in, the introduction of the internet and then we have bloggers who come in as independent voices who are not being paid to write about fashion and then we have a different type of fashion writer and fashion critic right but I think it's not that they're not getting paid they're not getting paid by like the newspapers and the magazines mm-hmm. but they're getting paid by the brands that's true um, to be brand ambassadors or you know they get freebies like flights and accommodation to a show and things like that so um, I feel like the the idea of the critic has also been blurred, um, mm-hmm. you know, by all these new entrants, new voices. And I thought what you said earlier about the fashion critic was interesting in that, you know, these early critics were the gatekeepers, really, or, you yes. know, our access point to what was on the runways because we depended on them for the fashion news. We depended on them to know what to think about fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now I feel like everyone can be a critic because you get to see things almost immediately right we see them on insta stories um sometimes now the brands sort of circumvent the problem by putting their runway on the internet themselves like just streaming live yeah Um, and also i remember as a young fashion student when i first started reading blogs fashion blogs like suzy bubbles mm -hmm. i was i mean i love the kind of access i had to designers that I wouldn't have heard of and also she would go to their studios and show the clothes and she'd be wearing the clothes mm. so you had that embodied experience of seeing a norm well, a regular person mm-hmm. and not a model wearing those clothes yeah. so I think those were the things that made bloggers so exciting and so accessible and it really was a changing point no? right but they're not critics no they're not critics <laughs> they're not critics yes. Because I think um, a critic presents a point of view, a studied point of view. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone whom I would think is a fashion critic, I respect the opinions of would be, um, for sure, that person would have access. Mm -hmm. But I think also um, the integrity or the objectivity to see the collection for what it is without any external agenda or without, you know, having benefited from any favours. So... Some of my favorite fashion critics would be Robin Given, um, Vanessa Friedman. I know you love her too. Yes. Um, and I think why we love reading what they write is because we, as you said, learn new things from them. Yeah. So it's not just that they're giving their points of view and then it's like, okay, I like it, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But it's more nuanced than that. Very nuanced. Yeah. So, One, yeah. Um, so it's like <laughs> contextualizing uh, what they see against, you know, what was in the past, um, what is happening currently. I mean, it, it gives insights, you know, that the rest of us wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah. One of my favorite 
recent pieces was by Vanessa Friedman mm. in the New York Times. And she wrote this great article called Modest Dressing as a Virtue. Mm-hmm. And we at that point in time, we were talking a lot about the rise of um, Muslim fashion and mm. like modest wear. Right. Conservative. Conser- so yeah. And, but she was situating it in, in a wider scope than that. She was talking about how dressing modestly was almost like an antithesis to the very sexualized 90s and 2000s. Mm. And also it was a way of empowerment and not just uh, for religious reasons. And Mm. the way she researched it and the way that she wrote, it really showed how knowledgeable and how poetically she was thinking about these issues. Mm -hmm. And what about if, you know, we were to think of... um critics attending shows and giving their opinions about what they see on the runway because I feel like that's more immediate and I think that's yes. where people f- people's feelings can get hurt, you know? Yeah I, yeah, I guess that immediacy means that they haven't had a chance to sit down and think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas when they write long-form pieces, they've kind of sat down to... Right. Yeah. So I guess the speed of things does make a difference. And at the same time, I mean, as we know, sometimes... Even the great critics, they might have written something at a point in time and changed their minds afterwards mm. about the 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 place or the place that that collection has in the designer's um, oeuvre or, yeah. or in society itself. Right. And why do you think it is that, you know, in Singapore, I don't really see um, fashion critics? Yeah. Do you I think it's because... <laughs> It's such a small community that, you know, anybody's efforts just, you know, you just don't have the heart to kind of stifle that creativity and you just want to be supportive and nurturing. Maybe. But is it sort of like helicopter parenting almost where you can kind of stifle, you know, the designer as well? I'm not sure if it's just that. It's something to think about because criticism comes from a legacy of critique and fashion criticism borrows a lot from other types of criticism like art criticism Mm. film criticism and so do we would have to have those in place first before we can actually have the fashion criticism right I mean you've been doing a lot of research with old uh, not old (laughs) like historical fashion magazines yes well yeah as you know I I look at um, magazines from the 70s and 80s that's yeah. my research now and to Singapore fashion history I've been focusing mostly on her world which is the longest running women's magazine in Singapore so have and you seen any criticism in there I haven't no I really haven't wow. um, you know it's an interesting question because what I've been doing so far is just looking for instances where Singapore fashion designers are even featured mm. wow you know, so, so we're just so thankful to be featured yeah <laughs> exactly so I've I've been looking out for instances because I think in the 70s and early 80s um, Singapore consumers were still very much looking to the West you know like really big names like um, you know, Gianni Versace um, or um, Matsuda from Japan, you know, designers like that, you know, were, were what had cachet. <laughs> and in the early 80s, there was this drive to really create a fashion industry, a local fashion industry with a unique identity. But I don't think that there was much criticism because there weren't that many designers to, to critique as well. Mm-hmm. And anything that I read in the magazine would be quite promotional. So, you know, wow, look at what this designer is creating. So, for example, like Tan Yong, what is he creating? Mm-hmm. Or 
um, the wrong yang, what is he creating and how is that beautiful and how is that just as good as or even better than what's coming out in the West. Yeah. Um, do you think it has something to do with the medium as well? Because, I mean, a lot of these early critics were in periodicals. That's true. Yes, and you're trying to sell it to an audience, right? Yeah. Have you tried to look at for criticism in Singaporean newspapers? Well, I have looked at some criticism in the newspapers, and I think the early 80s, the debates or the criticism would really come from... Uh, the government, if I may say that, because, you know, it was really about how there was a growing, a rather successful manufacturing industry for fashion already mm-hmm. in place by the late 70s. And there was a call for the manufacturers to work more with the young designers so okay. that there was a good sort of mutually beneficial arrangement where the designers could depend on the manufacturers and the manufacturers could stop depending so much on foreign contracts but to grow together with the local designers yeah. as like a wholesome fashion industry. Yeah. So, so, the, so criticism, the government wrote that. Well, not really the government, but you know, in interviews with like you know the trade development board, for yeah. instance, you know that would be what they said. Okay. Um, and I think that's quite interesting because it was really about, yeah, really about how you know they needed to work together, but not so much about the designers themselves. Although, um, also in the eighties, there was this event called Singapore Apparel which I think is kind of like a forerunner to the Singapore Fashion Week. <laughs> um, and Singapore Apparel would show um, local designers' work, but also sort of just like work of, you know, shops that were quite successful, creating rather mid-priced um, clothing for working women, for example. And there was definitely criticism on that level from the journalists, you know, just to say like, oh, you know, good effort. Okay. But, wow, these won't sell. <laughs> or good effort, but what am I looking at? Wow. Yeah, so I think this is quite healthy and, you know, it's it's important as well because I think sometimes when you are just so set on doing something, it can get to your head. Like, wow, you know, I'm doing something great. I'm doing something useful. But where does it go, you know, and what is the end result? So certainly if we think about that, then the fashion critic's job is quite important because even as I'm telling you, you know, yes, there was criticism. These were in the Singapore dailies, such as Straits Times. Yeah. And I would say that the writers who covered these news, you know, they were not fashion trained. You know, they were more sort of like general writers, general reporters. Which also puts into question whether it is useful fashion criticism. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that that um, Peter McNeil and Sander Miller write in their book Fashion Writing and Criticism is that there are four things that make a fashion critic. One is the insider knowledge. Mm-hmm. Two is the craft, so writing. There's a certain way of writing. And the specialised vocabulary. So fashion has a very specific mm. vocabulary. And the fourth is obviously the behind-the-scene knowledge that they would right. have. Yeah. So that's why fashion critics have always been invited to be in the front row of fashion runways. Yeah. So I guess it's, I mean, anybody could critique fashion, but is it really useful if it doesn't actually understand the system or the insights or the specialised vocabulary? Exactly. And I also think, I mean, now that you mentioned you know, the idea of how the critics are sitting front row at these shows, it must be quite hard also to balance, you know, being an objective critic and sort of being friendly with the designer because you you know you have to kind of tread exactly. that fine line like yeah. I'm your friend but I'm going to tell you like <laughs> it is 
you know, what's good but also what's bad. Yeah, and recently or what can be improved. We have seen so many instances of critics not being allowed in shows. That's right. <laughs> um and I don't know. I mean, that seems quite petty on the, <laughs> on the part of the designers. And I feel like then criticism is not taken in its proper light. But yeah, of course... Not as something useful, right? But just as something demeaning or... Yeah. yeah. But I feel like the best critical pieces are never demeaning. Um, you know, they're just factual and they are just a point of view that should be considered. It doesn't have to be taken um, as a whole. But, you know, it's something to, to chew on, to think about. Yeah, I'm just thinking also about you know our work uh, writing for the Fashion Photography Archive uh, for Bloomsbury Fashion Central. I mean, you've researched quite a number of runway shows, yes, just as I have. And I think for some of my pieces, I've looked at um, the Japanese designers in the 1980s when they first arrived in Paris, and you know they were showing their unique vision of fashion, which was not you know colorful or body conscious, but it was more um, about kind of rethinking what it's what it is you know about draping the body or rethinking the shape of the body, and doing so in rather drab colors right like black and white and grays and, and yeah. all that, and when we are writing these articles you know we are asked to think about or to look up critics' viewpoints about the collection and how you know these views might have changed over mm-hmm. time, which I thought was a great thing to research for myself because, you know, when I'm reading these critics' views, they are so helpful for me to think about how things are just always in motion in fashion. You know, it's like there's never a point where it's just sort of static or stuck, right? Exactly. So, for example, I've been, you know, I've read that, for instance, some critics would say, wow, you know, what is this doom and gloom that these Japanese designers are bringing to Paris? And why, you know, is... Is it the same thing season after season? Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, if if they had listened to the critics and stopped work, we wouldn't have the visionary yes, designers exactly. that we have now. Actually, talking about the Japanese designers, one piece of writing that I really loved about them was written by curator Harold Koda, who mm. was used to be at the Met, and before that he was at the FIT Museum. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this paper in 1995, I think, and it was called the, sorry, 1985. Okay. So that was really when Reika Okubo had just begun. And he wrote this paper called Reika Okubo and the Aesthetic of Poverty. So he's an American curator, and but with Japanese roots. And he was trying to situate her work and the deconstructed and um, very worn out look in the idea of wabi-sabi. Mm-hmm. So this kind of critical writing critique was it's very useful for us to think to to have in fashion because it gives us new languages and it gives us new frameworks to think about fashion how fashion can be thought about in a more um academic manner Mm -hmm. and that has helped me a lot to think about the aesthetics i wrote a paper for bloomsbury called the aesthetics of use Mm -hmm. and i was thinking about this aesthetic of worn-out clothing that's been used by a lot of avant-garde designers, including Margiela. Mm. And it was Bill Cunningham who actually first said that Margiela's clothing was um, deconstructed before the other critics and the other writers started saying that. And he came from a place of being a fashion photographer. Yes. And so his, his knowledge of the 
actual clothing and mm. and being very up close to the clothing allowed him to have such a critical view mm. and um of of the collection yes definitely yeah, which was so forward thinking at that time for sure yeah so that's yeah. the kind of critical writing and critique and that i love and it's they are not necessarily like negative no but they are situating it in very interesting places right and i also think that even if there is a negative comment somewhere in a critic's <laughs> writing it's fine you know because i mean we don't always have to accept what anyone else is saying and i feel like this is um fashion is is an arena where you know we can agree to disagree or we can have a conversation we can have a debate and it doesn't mean that if someone doesn't agree with something you're doing that oh my gosh you know i should stop doing it or wow that person is wrong because it's about opinions, right? I mean, it's really about you know, the same way as we choose the clothes we wear. You know, some designers we know, you know, that's really us. You know, that's the kind of clothes we wear. Like, oh my gosh, I love this collection. Yeah. But there are also designers whom I admire for, you know, perhaps their, their ideas or, you know, their work ethos or their career path. But I wouldn't necessarily want to wear their clothes because that's not me or that doesn't represent my style. Yeah. So I think in the same vein, fashion criticism to me is something that is useful if you take it in the right light, you know, that it is just meant to encourage conversation, it is meant to encourage debate, it is meant to throw up new ideas, yeah. and like you said, new frameworks of, th- uh, of yeah. thinking. And earlier we were also talking about designers as critics. So right. to me, Martin Margiela was a critic of fashion. Mm. The way that he used, for example, when he dressed his, um, his models in clothing that looked like mannequin covers. Mm-hmm. He, he, it's almost critics and reviewers have seen that as a way of critiquing how fashion takes women's bodies as just objects to mm. dress. And he's done a lot of things that are they are using the meta language of fashion to talk about fashion and and I think as a if you talking about designers that critic the fashion system, he was one of them. Right. And of course, recently we have Vetmong. Yes. <laughs> um, which is sort of just... I mean, that's satirical as well, isn't it? Very, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's really sort of pushing um, the boundaries on what fashion is. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is that people are just lapping it up. You know, they just love mm. um, the idea that it is criticism. Yeah. But they're buying into it. Yeah. So it's not just... Um, something that's critical but something that's commercially viable in its critical or in its criticality yeah I, I remember seeing this page called uh, Accidental Chinese Hipsters mm-hmm. and they were photographs of homeless people in China and some of them looked like they were wearing vetmons right because of that styling that they right. that they are appropriating yeah but also when I brought up the DHL t-shirt to my students mm-hmm. they some of them brought up this quite interesting point that maybe why they were using DHL t-shirts was because they were trying to highlight the people who deliver the clothing. Okay. So they were trying to talk about the outsider, insiders ah. of fashion, which I've never thought about before. That's an interesting yeah, point Yeah, that's of interesting. View. Yeah. And you see, we wouldn't have thought of that if, you know, we didn't have those ideas to, to, to deal with in the first place, yes. you know. So it's, I just think that, you know, criticism is really not about shutting down what's happening or shutting down thoughts and ideas, but about kind of opening up um, the the platform for more people to jump in and say what they think. Mm-hmm. Um, what about in Singapore? Do you think that there is a place for fashion critics? Do we have fashion critics? 
I don't know. I remember when we still were showing, we, we were doing shows in right. Singapore. So when Mashup was yes. doing shows in Singapore. Um, the only person who would come up to us and tell us things would be Nikki Bruce. Yes, so <laughs> Nikki Bruce used to be the editor of Her World Plus. Yes. And then she moved on to Honeycombers. But she also has a personal website, yes. um, Nikki Bruce. N-I-K-I-B-R-U-C. Yeah. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. <laughs> and very opinionated Very pieces. opinionated. Um, and, you know, it was such a delight to read her, her work because she was just telling us, you know, what's the point of having all these shows and without someone saying something about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about being positive, but what can be improved? You know, how can we move forward from here? And... I've always thought she was really brave for putting her thoughts out there. Me too. And and she would go... I mean, she didn't just stop there. She would be happy to talk to us about... That's right. Whatever. um, Over coffee, you know? And it was very nice to bump into her at events and she will have a chat about things. But she was not all positive was she I mean she would no. sort of oh no, no. well I don't even know why I asked positive. that question because obviously <laughs> um, but but it's fun no to have a dialogue and to disagree and agree yeah I think mm. so and I think shouldn't we move forward in that light you know and not be afraid of giving criticism but also receiving criticism I mean easier said than done easier said than done I mean but when you put up work it's always a bit personal for sure and, and I've put in so much effort and it's it's you out there and it's like putting yourself out there and then if someone comes and tells you like, hey, that's good, but, you know, that, that but is just like, it just sinks the heart, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so maybe it's really also about getting used to the idea of criticism mm-hmm. and we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. So perhaps this podcast or this podcast episode has gotten you thinking about criticism. Yep. So I guess that's all we have for today. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.